Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from sunny and warm uh, Montecito, California. Montecito, just outside of Santa Barbara, California. Central Coast, great place to live. Not a great place to invest like the rest of California. But hey, I'm happy. I want to start out, before we begin, pointing out that there is a website associated with this podcast. It is called wealthformula.com. And you should go there and sign up for any number of resources and get on our lists, etc. One of the lists that you may wish to consider is our investor club. This is for accredited investors. What is an accredited investor, you ask? Well, you make $200,000 a year or you make $300,000 a year if you're filing jointly or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence. So if you own a home in California or New York, but you don't have any other money, nah, you're not accredited. You don't have to sign up for anything to be accredited. You either are or you aren't. It's sort of like being pregnant, uh, although the implications are probably a little bit less dramatic. Anyway, the reason you should sign up for that, though, is that's where the magic happens. On this show, we talk a lot about the educational concepts. We talk about theory. We talk about the economy, et cetera. But if you actually uh, are accredited and you want to be participating in these types of opportunities, the magic happens in our uh, accredited investor club. So go to wealthformula.com and sign up for that right now if you are of the accredited investor variety. Now, as for today's show, this is uh, exciting. We've got Robert Kiyosaki. He is the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which is the best-selling financial book of all time. You may know that he also went on to publish several books after that, including Cashflow Quadrant, which frankly, that was the one that really kind of fundamentally changed my life. I mean, that was the one I accidentally read. Um, by picking up, uh, you know, at an airport uh, in Puerto Vallarta on my honeymoon, I didn't know who Robert Kiyosaki was. I didn't know what anything about investing. Uh, I didn't know anything. I mean, it was literally a week after my uh, residency was over, and I just wanted something to read. Uh, anyway, that's ancient history. It hit me like a light bolt, and uh, I became a different man. I became an entrepreneur. And you hear stories like that all the time. You know, to say the least, Robert Kiyosaki has made an impact in the world like very few people have. He has, you know, helped to create a generation of entrepreneurs uh, inspired by his writings. And many, 
including myself, discovered the very concept of entrepreneurship or cash flow for the first time through his teachings. Pretty impressive when you think about it, right? You know, just imagine making such an impact on the world. And it sure sounds like a life worth living, at least to me. I mean, really, what is it all about if you can actually change so many people, you know, touch so many lives? But you know what else makes his story incredibly inspirational to me, at least personally? Well, when he published Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki was already 50 years old. Think about that. I mean, a lot of you out there, you, I mean, I'm 46. I'm still four years from 50. So listen, of course, Robert was successful before Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, that's what the book was based on was, you know, some of his financial paradigms and his philosophies that helped him get there. But he would be the first one to agree that the trajectory of his life completely changed, you know, after the age of 50 and with the appearance on Oprah. Keep that in mind the next time you wonder if you can still change the course of your life because, you know what, it is never too late. And I have to say this, especially in light of where we are in this country right now with this pandemic, it has taken a toll on us, this pandemic, the, the social unrest. I mean, this is a time that, man, everybody, well, not everybody, but at least you know, a lot of people I know are down and out. You know, we know thousands have died. We know over 100,000 people have already died in this country. But the emotional casualties will never be truly appreciated. We're talking suicides. We're talking, you know, depression. We're talking alcoholism, drug abuse, divorce, all of these things that have come from this pandemic and this lockdown, right? So this is a time to be trying to look and look at the positive things that, you know, that you could do after this is all over. And to me, you know, uh, uh, this his story is, is really inspiring, right? Robert Kiyosaki's books were paradigm-changing, uh, but today, at 46 years old, me, uh, his life after 50 is giving me even more hope. I mean, I got to tell you, it's been a rough uh, few months for me as well, uh, and it's been it's been tough. So the truth be told, I don't agree with everything that Robert says these days. Um, you know, I admire him so much, and I think he has such such an influence on me, but he's someone that has earned the right to say things that others disagree with, and uh, deserves to be heard. And as a guy who does not routinely engage in hero worship, uh, he's also earned my uh, eternal gratitude and certainly my ear. As such, it is my pleasure to present you with this week's Wealth Formula podcast featuring Robert Kiyosaki on the post-pandemic economy when we come back. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? 
To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My guest on Wealth Formula Podcast today needs no introduction. He's the author of several books, uh, including the number one selling financial book of all time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And of course, I'm talking about Robert Kiyosaki. He's the guy who thousands of entrepreneurs and investors in this world, including me, credit for fundamentally shifting our ways of thinking and changing our lives. Robert, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Honored. Nice to see you off the boat. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, I'm kind of glad that didn't happen when we were on that cruise, Robert, but uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious, just to start, you know, what, you know, I know we just talked about Tom Wheelwright, who's uh, a friend of us both, and I know he talks about traveling around with you all the time, you know, yeah. and educating people around the world. What are you doing right now in this predicament? Uh, how are you guys adapting? Are you, are you still, you know, trying to get out there somehow? Well, ironically, I'm busier now than ever before, uh-huh. you know, because, um, you know, the social media it's really the best for a guy like, you know, us because we can reach more people, less effort and time. Yeah. You know, before I was always on an airplane, you know, two days out, two days back as a week for what I can do in an hour now. Yeah, absolutely. It's so scalable, right? Everything is so scalable. So, yeah. but you know, uh, so I, I want to, you know, kind of get to some topics that I think people would really love to hear you about. There is obviously, there is this health-related thing going on called uh, COVID-19. There's this pandemic. What I'd like to hear about, and I think what uh, is kind of your take on the economic side of that, uh, we already have seen depression-level unemployment. Uh, lots of small businesses have been destroyed. They're never coming back, regardless of some of these guys saying there's going to be a V-shaped recovery. What happens next? Well, a lot has to do with guys in your profession because, you know, Forbes magazine had did an article about 600 doctors who talked about what they see as the ripple effect of, you know, sheltering at home. Yeah. You know, like suicides have gone up, opioid deaths have gone up, domestic violence has gone up. Uh, and for a guy like me who's not a doctor, what I've been saying is I think it's fake. Now, I say that although I don't know what I'm talking about. Right, right. Okay, but I, the reason I do that is because I want people to know where I'm at so they know where they're at, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is if I'll say, if I'm p- politically incorrect, not PC in other sure, words, sure. at least I suspect I have a little bit more credibility when I do talk about things I do know. right. So I don't, I'm, you know, I could say, well, you should shelter at home, you should wear a mask, and should wash your hands. 
but it wouldn't be truthful on my part. But I think it's fake. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so I you, see it from a macroeconomic side, not a medical side. Right. So fake in the sense that there's overreaction or fake in the sense of, you know, the whole thing sort of fabricated or. Yeah. I think see, what, what happened is I've been, I wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad about 25 years ago now because I could see this crisis coming. I did a book called Rich Dad's Prophecy. It started in 1999. I said there'd be three crashes. The first one came in 1999 with the Thai bot crash or the, or the, uh, what's it called? The, the dot-com crash, which was followed by the subprime crash in 2008. And I'm on, you can go to Rich Dad. I mean, you can go to Rich Dad and see the clip with me on Wolf, Wolf Blitzer calling the crash of Lehman Brothers in January 2008. And it came in September 2008. Well, I also said that the third crash would take place in 2016. And the reason it didn't happen in 2016, because in 1999, when I started writing the book, I didn't foresee quantitative easing, which is counterfeit money. And I didn't see ZERP, you know, zero interest rate policies. And I didn't realize how desperate the Fed would get. So the crash, the biggest stock market crash in history that I said would come in 2016 showed up in March of 2020. And March of 2020 was the biggest crash in world history, except nobody heard about it simply because everybody's sheltering at home, worried about coronavirus and all this stuff. So that's why I say it's kind of fake. The last thing is this, in September 2019, a lot of things happened in September, there was a crash in the shadow banking system. And the shadow mm -hmm. banking system is commercial paper, uh, credit default swaps and all the exotics, but that's where the big banks bank. Yeah. So the crash was taken below Main Street. Meanwhile, Main Street in September 2019, stock market's up, everybody's happy. Unemployment's down, everybody's happy. Trump is president, he says this is the best economy possible. Yet in September 2019, the ground below our feet was crumbling. So when, when Wuhan appeared in December of 2019, it smelled fishy to me. Yeah. It's a cover-up, a distraction. You know, just remember that not too long ago, there was rioting in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. There was rioting in Paris. There was rioting in Santiago, Chile. Then all of a sudden, now you have to social distance. You know, now they, now they tear your site off of YouTube, which is First Amendment also. You can't say anything against the coronavirus because they take you off mm -hmm. air. Mm -hmm. Like those two doctors in California said, there's nothing happening, and they got taken off the air. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Robert Kennedy Jr., he gets delisted because he speaks out against the vaccines. So there's yeah. this war in America. Yeah. Either you think it's real or you think it's fake. And guys like Bill Gates, who nobody, I mean, I don't trust him. He wants to vaccine everybody now. I don't want to be vaccinated, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Not the, not, not, I'm not against the vaccine. I'm against my freedom being taken away. Sure, sure. Understood. It's like I get tested every other week. I'm target yeah. market, 73. <laughs> I've had pneumonia, I've had heart disease, di diabetic, I'm everything. I, te I test twice twice a week and still nothing. Yeah, you know, I actually, it's funny, uh, you know, I, I remember just before everybody realized what this thing was that was out there, um, you know, our friend Tom Wheelwright was in the hospital with pneumonia. And now I was talking to Tom, he's convinced maybe he did have it after all, even though they tested negative, but... 
Um, yeah, who knows? You know, who knows is that it? But you know what's what's striking to me, Robert, is despite um, you know going back to the economic side, and you you know uh, I'm not a stock guy, and obviously you're not, um, but I can't help but notice the general resilience of the Dow uh, through all of this. Really, it's just like this massive hit to the system, and maybe there's a you know twelve to fourteen percent dip in the Dow which just doesn't seem to be congruent with the realities on the ground. Do you agree with that? And, and if so, why do you think that is the case? Oh, that's why I said it smells fishy to me. The yeah. biggest crash in world history was marked for 2020. Uh-huh. And nobody talks about it. Yeah. it. It dropped so much. It dropped more in three weeks than it usually takes three months to drop and bounce right back. Yeah. And so all of the stimulus, I think, and I could be wrong, it's like Corona could be wrong, is just to provide cover for people to exit the stock market before the real crash hits. Because I don't think the dominoes have fallen yet. Dominoes are just starting to fall. And again, it's in the shadow banking market, not the above street. So you have the above street, you have mom and pop stores, you have the banks, you have government, and you have you know Wall Street. Below the surface is where the damage took place in September 2000. It's crushed. Yeah. It's bank. So they're bailing that section out. So they big corporations raised five hundred and sixty billion to bail out, you know, from the Fed to bail out the big corporations. Meanwhile, mom and pops are going bankrupt. Right. So that's it's so strange. I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's really strange to me because it doesn't seem, despite the the market having dropped as much as it did, the recovery makes no sense at all. I guess the only other thing, as you mentioned, the bailouts and the bailouts in the form of the, you know, the PPP, et cetera. But you also have an unparalleled situation with the Fed buying junk bond ETFs, right? So does that almost delegitimize the entire market? I mean, I mean, it's, it's like picking winners and losers, isn't it? Right. And you know, buying junk bonds supposedly goes against the Fed mandate. Right. But they don't call them junk bonds. They're called high-yield bonds. <laughs> high-yield yeah. corporate bonds, right. Yeah, they're, they're high-yield bonds. Uh-huh. Anyway, you know, it's such BS. <laughs> I, that's why I just like my gold, silver, and I'm, I'm just starting to buy Bitcoin now. Because <laughs> I don't trust my government. I haven't for a while. But anyway, I don't trust it. So where does this leave us, do you think, though? I mean, now, you know, after this, you know, you, you have alluded to something that I've kind of been talking about on my show, which is, you know, the immediate impact of COVID-19, uh, that, that you know, the economic impact of that. To me, it, it reminds me of an earthquake, a big earthquake hitting, um, like in Fukushima, right? But what, what really destroyed everybody was that tsunami that followed, that big, you know, uh, unexpected nuclear reactor going down and everything yeah. else. And I feel like we haven't been hit by that yet. I, I tend to agree with you. The dominoes have just started to fall. I mean, could you imagine, you know, those every cruise ship, like we run with the real estate guys, that's a floating mortgage. Right. You know, I mean, the Mall of America, Minnesota, the largest shopping mall in America, just defaulted on two payments on a $1.4 billion loan. That's the shadow banking system. Who's taking the hit there? And yeah. so the Fed is pumping this money in to keep those guys who own that $1.4 billion mortgage from committing suicide. Meanwhile, Main Street's going bust. 
you know, how can they, how can they allow the big box stores like Walmart to stay open, but mom and pop store must close? Yeah. It's, it's, there's something so bizarre. It's not explainable. Yeah, it is bizarre. And, you know, it's shifting topics a little bit. One of the other evolving stories that I wanted to get your take on is that uh, obviously this virus came from China and we were already kind of butting heads with China. And now, uh, you know, you have this lack of transparency on the part of China regarding this virus and, you know, whatever control, whatever things they knew or didn't know or where it came from. How do you think these increased tensions with China and broader, uh, more broadly, sort of the impact of our movement away from globalization is going to impact uh, the U.S. economy? Yeah, I mean, just look at what's going on. You step back and you look, you go, holy mackerel. Do you know what I mean? And, and then yeah. they say, well, it's because somebody ate an old bat. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, right, right. I don't, I don't know. You know, and there was a <laughs> book uh, by, who was that guy? It, it predicted a 1981 uh, disease, uh, uh, a pandemic will come out of Wuhan in 2020. Is that right? In 81. In 81. I didn't yeah, know about that. I forgot the guy's name, but anyway, you can look it up. So everything looks like you couldn't plan this out better. Wuhan, 81, 2020, a pandemic erupts, you know, old bat. But you look at this here. And so in America, the stats show that the most people most affected come from poor inner city, you know, lack of a better word, low-income housing or ghetto, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and minorities with poor diets, very little access to health care, overweight, old, you know, I mean, all the stuff that you guys as medical doctors warn us against, but that's who they're attacking, 50%. Mm-hmm. Now, in Japan, they have less than one-thousandth of one percent. Now, is it because, I'm not touting the Japanese because I'm Japanese, but how much of this cultural? How much of it is their sanita- personal hygiene habits, sanitation? You know, they live in crowded cities. They smoke, but they don't have, they have the least case. And their economy is a mess. It's, yeah. The Japanese economy is, what, 240% jet debt to GDP, but they're healthy in spite of being smokers and living in ghettos like the U.S. How yeah. much of it is because... It's cultural, personal habits, personal hygiene, stress, all those things, you know? You know, what's interesting is there is a tendency, obviously, in the media to uh, take the extreme cases, you know, the totally healthy 30-year-old who dies of COVID-19. But my friends who are working in ICUs and emergency rooms, et cetera, they all tell me the same thing. Everybody looks the same. They're all obese. They're all diabetics. Uh, and if you look at the numbers, that overwhelmingly, uh, those numbers are much higher in African-Americans and Latinos who are getting hammered um, by this. So there's there's probably a lot more trends than we're you know, necessarily being uh, told about, at least from the anecdotes from my, uh, my friends. Well, let me ask this question. You know, I mean, you have John Glenn's wife. She's 100 years old. Mm-hmm. She dies. Yeah. Because of Corona, I'm going. Wait, wait a minute. What about 100 years old? You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. What does that do? Yeah. Or the my, you know, my doctor says this guy comes in, is hit by a car. Naturally, it's co- it's Corona. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, he was hit by a fucking car. <laughs> He's a young guy too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that that might actually uh, 
put him out of his misery, right? So. <laughs> yes. And I, I hear people are, you know, I have people who are afraid to go in, you know, so heart attacks are up yeah. because they, they die at home because they, they don't want to go get COVID. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, the ERs are empty. It's, it's like nobody's all of a sudden nobody's having heart attacks and strokes anymore. Tell me about, are you worried about inflation? This is something that, you know, you hear about a lot, right? And, and with the, now what are we up to? $7 trillion in, um, you know, the Fed's balance sheet. Is this a, is this something that you're worried about right now in the future? Or is it not something to be worried about? Something to embrace and say, hey, let's take it for a ride. Well, like I said, I wrote the book, Rich Dad's Prophecy. I was coming in 2016. And the real reason for the prophecy was in this book here, Who Stole My Pension? And I've written, my co-author is an SEC attorney who talks about how Wall Street was siphoning out all the money from, you know, uh, teachers, firefighters, police officers, UPS drivers. You know, I, I was supposed to be a pilot for United Airlines when I came back from Vietnam. And thank God I did it because the pilots from Vietnam lost all their pension. It was stolen. And, and so that's going to be, I think, the big story as soon as Wuhan kind of dies down a bit is the millions of baby boomers, or 10,000 a day, 2 billion across the world, find out they can't retire. So at once, as long as they're a productive tax-paying citizens, they're an asset. But the moment they retire, they become a liability to the government. So I think pensions are going to be the big one coming up after this because it's so visceral with the old guys, my generation, the boomer generation. We're out of time. As you know, we all know Social Security went negative and Medicare is through the roof. So I think our problems have just begun. So do I worry about inflation? Well, it's either inflation or hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. You know, because the Fed will print. You know, they're not going to not print. That would be suicide. Right. So, and they're afraid of, they're not afraid of inflation. They're afraid of depression. Right. So they're going to print that's going to keep it fake as much, as long as they can. You know, one of the things I'm I'm curious about, uh, another common friend of ours, uh, Duncan, um, he, uh, he was on your podcast recently. And um, I remember him talking about the 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 reason for us not having um, a significant amount of inflation after you know the last several rounds of QE having a lot to do with the fact that we are essentially exporting our inflation to other countries, um, which I think is a really for me it was a, an interesting concept that I hadn't thought about. That's where I kind of look at what we're doing with China. And that's what worries me is it makes me think like we don't think maybe that inflation is as big of an issue because it didn't hit us with these several rounds of QE in 2008. But now if we have all of this additional, you know, Fed printing money along with, you know, this uh, deglobalization, that could be sort of the confluence of stuff that could really, really uh, make inflation take off for the course of the next few years. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, we had a lot of inflation. It was called the stock market, real estate market, and bond market. Right. And it blew the whole, that was called the everything bubble. So you look at homelessness. A lot of the homeless, because I have friends in Hawaii in commercial real estate, and at night these cars pull into the parking lots. So they're homeless, but they have jobs. 
Right. And they have to live, the choice is the car or a house. They choose a car because they can sleep in the car and drive to work because the public transit is not good in a way. Yeah. When you look at all the ripple effects, I think we, we see hyperinflation in the stock market, bond market, real estate market. We also see it in education, you know, because of the student loan debt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people today are living on their credit cards, you know, because $1,200 a month barely covers what they need. So anyway, we haven't seen anything yet. And, you know, the only question I ask is that people are listening. Will the Fed print or not print? Right. And when, they started, when they started buying, you know, high-yield debt, other, i.e. junk bonds, that proves they'll print, they'll, they're going to print. In terms of uh, actionable information for investors, you know, we, we, you, you and I both kind of just talked a little bit about how we agree this idea of the tsunami coming along the way. Um, it, it seems to me that a, a lot of the, the smart real estate guys out there, like Ken McElroy, uh, Dave Steele, uh, they're, they're waiting to see you know, what happens, anticipating some defaults, some distress in the real estate markets. When do you think that, I mean, in terms of timing, right, how, how long does that take and how will we know when we're there in terms well, of buying? The, the dominoes are only now starting to fall. Like, yeah. you know, like Neiman just went bankrupt. Um, the, the, the Mall of America just missed two mortgage payments. Every steamship's not paying. Every airline's not paying. So then you have pilots, ground crew, all those guys out. So it's, it hasn't hit yet, is what I'm trying to say. It's, yeah. you know, if somebody has $1,000 in savings, that's actually after-tax dollars. So once those are gone, they're going to have to, or if in the 40% bracket, they're going to have to earn 1400 bucks to recoup free to get the thousand dollars back. So I don't think we've seen it yet. I think it's just a lag. It's going to hit. It's, it's like there was the, the earthquake in, this, in Indonesia. We set off a tidal wave in Japan, which hit the nuclear reactor in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we haven't seen it yet. I remember having a conversation with you a few years ago on the Real Estate Guys Cruise. And I remember this was 2017. All the speakers um, seemed to be, oddly enough, agreeing with each other. We even had Peter Schiff agreeing with the uh, uh, chief economist from Fannie Mae. And it, it just seemed like we were in the twilight zone or something. Um, and when I asked you about what you thought about this, about the speakers, you you said something to me I thought was really interesting, which was, it worried you that everyone seemed to be agreeing with one another. And what were we missing? So I have to ask you now, I mean, what worries you most about post-COVID America? What, what do you think we're missing that a lot of people are not thinking about? I think it's never going to be the same. The trouble is we don't know what the same is, the, the new normal is. Right. Uh, I'm concerned that they'll have to keep printing money to keep social unrest down. You know, the Fed is really a socialist organization. It's not really capitalist. But, you know, with Bernie Sanders near winning and all that, and they're going to start paying people not to work, with, which is UBI. I think what worries me is we, we see the end of the American empire. Mm-hmm. And that might be a good thing. At the same time, you know, China is building the uh, road and belt project, you know, which is it's basically their way of connecting the world 
by a railroad in one method is transportation. Then they have the polar silk route, they have the ocean silk route, and then they have the regular silk route. So China is being more proactive in a, than America is. And I've seen, I travel the world, I see those guys everywhere. Yeah. You know, I was in Zimbabwe, and they're in there buying everything they could. And they built a whole campus just for their guys to take Zimbabwe. And so I was walking along this road in Zimbabwe, and they're the Chinese trenching machines. So we send in the military, Chinese sends in trenching machines to lay down cable optic fi- cable, you know, fiber basically. So they're, they're building infrastructure, and we send weapons. That's, you know, I'm a former Marine. And I go, haven't we learned yet? Yeah. Why kill them? We should, we should be building, but now we go boom in the desert all day long. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you about the latest work that you have. You just showed me a book. Actually, I, I have to admit, I, I, didn't know the, uh, I didn't know about the Who Stole My Pension book. I thought Fake was the last book. Um, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about, well, if you want to tell us first about Fake and then who is Who Stole My Pension for, is that just for people with a pension? So I mean, it's not, you know, is it, is it mostly for people who've got a pension or for anybody or? Well, it's for anybody who hopes on retiring. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's two kinds of pensions. Defined benefit, which is what police, firefighters, police, you know, teachers have. Then you have defined contribution, which the rest of us have as a 401k or IRA. And this is worldwide. And so I'm saying the next thing is going to be the pensions because they've been robbed blind. Um, you know, like I said, my co-author in this is an SEC attorney. He's a whistleblower. But I think he put $74 million in his pocket last year, blowing the whistle on Wall Street. How they're ripping people off. Yeah. So people say, well, how does it affect me? I said, well, you know, you have friends and relatives right now who may become your new house guests. Because I know a lot of people that have friends and family with nothing. Your sister, your brother, your kids, their kids. Yeah. Pensions are gone. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, and and it's just so, so remarkable to me that uh, people have such blind faith not only in in you know things like pensions, but even the market. Right? I mean, you've got um, despite all of the the things in in the system right now that should be scaring people to death in the stock market, um, people think that the market just goes up no matter what, forgetting that you know it took what twenty twenty five years from the Great Depression to to, to recover from that. And, um, you know, if you're already ready to retire now, you want to wait another 20, 25 years. (laughs) That's a little bit of a rough go. So anyway, listen, Robert, I, uh, I do want to take up too much of your time. And I, again, I want to, um, you know, mention your, uh, latest book, who stole my pension. There was also fake before that, just a series of fantastic books. The one that changed my life personally, uh, was the cash flow quadrant. And I think that probably is the one that if you've not read uh, Robert's books, Rich Dad Poor Dad is phenomenal. But I think for people like us who are high paid professionals who are trying to you know understand this other world that no one revealed to us in school, that's cash flow quadrant for me. But again, I want to thank you for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. And again, uh, I am <laughs> just, I hate to sound like I'm blowing air, uh, but you know, the reality is that, you know, you're a catalyst for so many people and so many people's success. And, uh, I hope, I hope you hear that from everybody because you should. And, uh, you know, thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you. Because, you know, this is what we, why we do it for, 
you know. So anyway, thank you. And, you know, it's amazing what YouTube has done or all the social media has done. Yeah. It's fantastic. You know, more opportunity now than ever before. So anyway, thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. As I said earlier, I don't always agree with Robert Kiyosaki. I admire the hell out of him, and I am uh, very grateful to him. Uh, but I don't always agree with him. You know, listen, I don't think that COVID-19 is fake. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that's exactly what he meant either. I mean, I get the sense that what he was really saying is that there is more to the story than there appears at first glance, which, you know, frankly, is often true. You know, we we often find out a lot of things um, that seemed completely accidental at the time. Maybe there was more to the story than, than meets the eye. And I think that's kind of what he was getting at. Obviously, he's not ignoring the fact that over 100,000 people have died. Having said that, it is a, again, it's always a pleasure for me to talk to someone who has touched so many lives and impacted as many people as he has. You know, and I sometimes wonder what it would have been like had I never picked up that Cashflow Quadrant book uh, in Puerto Vallarta years ago. In many, many ways, I wonder <laughs> what life would have been like. Anyway, I will leave you with this last message, which again, uh, given where we are in this country right now, post-pandemic, you know, social unrest and, you know, 20% unemployment, 40% contraction in quarterly GDP, think of the bright spots in life. Try to figure out, you know, what there is to be inspired about. Think about the future. Be brave. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.